You are now listening to The Seedcast. This week on The Seedcast, Andrew Nault and Julia Luft sit down with Boston-based illustrator and in-house designer at Brainfeeder Records, Jerry Evan. While Jerry is currently collaborating with artists like Flying Lotus and Thundercat, her career started out in quite a different trajectory. In this episode, we'll learn about her early start as a model, how that experience informed her current practice, her unique image-making process, and how a simple post on Instagram changed her path completely. So without further ado, episode 27 of The Seedcast with illustrator and in-house designer at Brainfeeder Records, Jerry Evan. Enjoy. Welcome back to The Seedcast, everyone. This is, of course, Andrew Nault hanging out with Julia Luft. Good morning. <laughs> Today, we are very excited to have illustrator and in-house designer at Brainfeeder Records, Jerry Evan, on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, so, we always like to start out with where you started out. What got you going and got you to where you are now? So, initially, I started out as a fashion model way back when, if we're going to go back into the relics of me kind of working <laughs> creatively. Yeah. So. Yeah. After kind of starting there, um, growing up around so many art directors, hairstylists, photographers, it was like I knew that I needed to do something creatively. Mm-hmm. When it came time to you know, go to college, art school was really the only option for me. In high school, I had been working a lot on you know, my personal fashion blog and, and various creative endeavors and okay. kind of just took it from there. And where did you go to school? I went to Mass Art in Boston. Tight. She's part of the family. With Julia Luft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had a studio across from me senior year, and uh, it was great. We got to drown together. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. So you have this very distinct, I hate using the word style, because it's just like the nature of everybody's work. But like, what are the influences that contributed to you sort of exploring this very specific aesthetic? I would have to say street art, definitely. Like when I was working on my fashion blog way back when, I would always be writing about these um, street painters, specifically overseas in in Paris and in Spain, because street art is so widely accepted there, whereas in the States, it's something that's considered illegal and not okay to do. Mm -hmm. Right. I would look at artists like Fafi and Miss Van. And they would make these hyper stylized kind of caricatures of people. And I saw them, you know, legally being able to work on the streets with their work. Mm. And essentially they would be getting these brand deals with Adidas, with Matt Cosmetics. And like, for me, that was, that was a huge zinger in my brain. Like I saw that it was actually possible to work graphically and kind of get your visual language out there, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. by using, Mm -hmm. you know, very bold lines, very bright color, all of that stuff kind of stuck with me. So then were you always kind of illustrating along the way or was it something that one day you were just like, oh shit, I can actually do this? I started illustrating mostly in high school, quite honestly. And I would Mm -hmm. actually, (laughs) I would trace graffiti on my TV. So essentially a makeshift light table. I would literally print out work from Fafi. I would stick it because of the static on 
the glass TV. It would literally stick to the screen and I would just start tracing. And like, I'm literally 15 years old, maybe even younger, maybe like 14, 13. And like my mom would walk in and I'm just like on my TV drawing and like, there's something wrong with this kid. (laughs) So it was like one of those old tube TVs. Yeah, the bosses yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with like the actual glass screen. And I mean, honestly, I probably had brain damage from that time or, you know, <laughs> eye damage from literally staring directly at the screen. So have you always like felt like sort of mobile within those different facets? Because I don't know, like the illustration and design and the fashion and the music, it's it's all just super related. Um, did it always feel related? For me starting out, I didn't really feel like modeling was the appropriate kind of media for me to express myself as Mm -hmm. exciting as it is to be working with a team and you know on set and you know getting to play dress up essentially when you're a model you're essentially selling the product you're not selling your personal vision and your personal voice so I kind of felt like as exciting as this is to be a part of this team I wasn't really able to get out what I wanted from it you know I have a lot to say and you know having to preach other people's visions was just not Mm-hmm. Something that I think necessarily worked best for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So then when you got to college, is that when the illustration uh, and design work became more serious? Or were you like in high school, like, this is what I want to do? It was kind of a last minute decision, quite honestly, mm-hmm. to do art school. Like I had always been drawing and, you know, tracing things on my TV. <laughs> but before that, <laughs> I had considered, you know, going overseas and modeling in Europe at age 18. I had an opportunity to go live in a model apartment in Milan. Wow. And for some people, like that sounds like really exciting. But for me, I wasn't guaranteed to make money doing that. And it, mm. it felt very dicey for me going to school and getting an education meant a lot more because I knew that if I, you know, had skill building in place, I'd be able to really do whatever I want. And, you know, if I wanted to go back to modeling, that would always still be an option for me, but I wouldn't change it for the world that I ended up going to mass art because I learned so, so much in really Mm -hmm. every single media, you know, like we learned painting, we learned collage, photography, animation, um, you know, video, it was incredible just being able to combine all of that, you know, and kind of make your own education in a way because they they allow you to do that at Mass Art. You're able to choose electives based off of what interests you. And I just liked everything, you know, I was taking, um, I took an extra year at Mass Art. And because of that, I was actually able to get double the elective credits. So Whoa. it was awesome to be able to kind of pick and choose exactly what I wanted to do that was, you know, unique to my specific journey. Um, And like in all of your travels, and um, I know that during your senior year, you were splitting time a lot between like Boston and New York. But I I also know that in your work, it like Boston is a big influence, um, just like as a city, like how have you sort of, I don't know, I guess, utilize different urban environments to arrive at the one that feels most your own? For me, Boston is always going to be home. You know, like when I think of my formative experiences, I think of going to basement shows in Alston and, you know, growing up in Newton and my friends making music. And it's like, had I not experienced that, I'm not sure that I would have the same mindset that I currently have. I always want to bring a little bit of that Boston flair because we are a unique city, you know, compared to, you know, big cities like New York and Los Angeles. You know, we have a very specific New England aesthetic that (laughs) I think I want to carry with me wherever I go. Um, Being in New York... You know, fashion-wise, I think it's definitely influenced the way that I dress and, you know, maybe certain bands that are coming out of New York specifically um, have influenced me over the years. But Boston is definitely still home, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to get it out of your system. 
Absolutely. I think it's nice to take bits and pieces of each city that you visit, you know, like I think that going into San Francisco and going to Los Angeles and going to New York, it's like I took bits and pieces of the culture there and blended it all together to make my own personal experience, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm. Totally. So then what's the path from, you know, finishing college and starting to work at Brain Feeder Records? How did that come about? So I was working as a graphic designer shortly after graduating from MassArt. I was working in the Boston Seaport designing magazine spreads for a travel company. And I was part of this big design team. And it it was quite fun. And being a part of a creative team was really exciting. I was working at Grand Circle Travel until COVID hit. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, more than half the company was laid off. But I had been contacted by um, Autry Fulbright, who is Flying Lotus and Thundercats manager on Instagram, Wow. On a random Monday back in March, I was laid off from my, you know, travel job that Friday, and it was a completely <laughs> seamless transition from travel shit. industry to music industry. <laughs> During that week, oh my god, it was so surreal. I'm thinking to myself, like, I work full time. How am I going to be able to juggle this? Like, this is such an incredible opportunity. I can't pass this up. Yeah. So right. I'm going to work two jobs. Like I'm going to be, you know, spending all of my nights after doing this design gig just to make it work with these musicians. And COVID hit, everything got super weird. Um, You know, working on a three hour time difference for my studio apartment in Boston (laughs) was definitely a transition. I mean, I'm thinking back to like March, April, 2020, um, Mm. being up until probably 3.30 in the morning, Boston time, you know, talking to my team in Los Angeles, which mind you is not normal for them either. But Mm. I don't think anyone really had an understanding of what was going on with COVID. You know, we were all kind of just trying to confide in each other and kind of get support from our peers and fellow creatives on, you know, (laughs) getting through such a crazy time for everyone. Absolutely. I'm curious, like, what kind of falls under your job title there? You know, in-house designer, like, what what is that blanket? So, essentially, I do most of the merch design for Flying Lotus and Thundercat. On top of that, I do um, illustration work for them for upcoming projects that I can't necessarily share too much about. But basically, that covers it. I mean, creative direction to an extent. I mean, I work with Autry who, um, you know, manages Flying Lotus and Thundercat and he works with them directly. And, you know, Thundercat will approach Autry and say, Hey, like I'm thinking of making some jumpsuits. Like he's obsessed with Bruce Lee. He's obsessed yep. with Kill Bill. Um, I was sent some reference imagery from Autry and we go back and forth via text message. He sends the work to Thundercat. Thundercat reviews it. I get screenshots if the feedback is great from Thundercat that's sent back to me. <laughs> so so <laughs> it's, it's an interesting process. I mean, I'm so excited to meet these people in person because we've been able to establish such a unique way of working together, mm. you know, with a three hour time difference. I'm in Boston. I'm on FaceTime with them, which is obviously so much more personal than, than taking a phone call. Yeah, mm-hmm. But every day is exciting. I mean, Thundercat is just such an energetic artist and he just won a Grammy yeah. for It Is What It Is. So yep. well-deserved. Um, I'm, you know, honored and privileged to even get the chance to work with someone like him. <laughs> yeah, we spend a, a lot of time kind of harping on social media, but then you have stories like this where it feels like the magic is still in it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Honestly, it's the magic of Instagram these days. I think that people spend so much time, like maybe thinking, oh, like to be a successful artist, like I need to have some huge following. Like I need to be, you know, actively seeking a fan base constantly. And like, that's 
just not the reality of it. Like mm-hmm. I am coasting at just under a thousand followers on Instagram. I try to put all of my work out there in the most genuine way possible. And mm-hmm. I think just being yourself is going to attract the right types of people sure. that see the drive that you're putting into it and see the hard work that you're putting into it. They don't care, you know, if you're some influencer or, you know, famous model or whatever it is. It's like, that doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's really, you know, your personal voice, your personal vision and your drive, quite honestly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Hell yeah. So how did they find you? Just like hashtags quite honestly my mom actually she posted a picture of me and flying lotus i had met flying lotus at an after party here in boston very briefly it took a quick photo of him i I had showed him in the time that we had met um some character design illustrations that i had done and i said like you know you're a huge and you know inspiration to me i've seen your work with adult swim at the time i think Mm -hmm. i was like a sophomore at mass art and i showed him you know my sketches like here's my character design he was really into it took a quick photo that was it my mom, once again, posts on Instagram and Autry, Flying Lotus's manager, was just searching hashtag Flying Lotus because, you know, his job as a manager is to see what's being put out there. Totally. He came across the photo. My mom had written a little embarrassing blurb. Oh, like my daughter, Jerry, she's an artist here in Boston and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, one thing leads to another. You know, he's looking at my Instagram page and clicking through my website and was very, I guess, taken by my work um, and sent me a DM completely out of the blue. Like, hi, my name is Autry. Like, I work for uh, Flying Lotus and Thundercat. We have some upcoming projects that we think you'd be a great fit for. Um, We love your illustration work. I'd love to talk to you more about, you know, if you're interested in working on this. And of course I was at the time and we were were FaceTiming um, three days later. So Jesus Christ, that's so dope. Maybe I should yeah. not give my mom such a hard time for hugging me. I was like, okay, she... mom, stop. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> she takes Maybe... credit for this position, by the way. And she, yeah. she holds it. She holds it above my head, too. She's like, you know, you wouldn't have this job if it wasn't for me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but you're the one who also had the guts to, to meet this dude and be like, hey, here's my work. That also takes some stones too. Like, yeah. Wow. It was so, it was so brief, you know, like he had just stopped by and, you know, being in high school, I remember Flying Lotus and Thundercats music as being so different than anything else that I had heard during that time. Like Cosmogramma had come out in 2010 when I was a junior in high school, the golden age of the apocalypse came out in 2011. Yep. Like those are to me, formative albums. I think that they really sort of informed my visual language as an artist and kind mm-hmm. of, I had to say something, you know, when I met him, I I just was like, the work that you do inspires me. Here's some work that, you know, you maybe had inspired and that was it. Super cool. I mean, you can totally see a very nice parallel between the music that they make and the work that you do. And I can totally see why they would have approached you. You know? It's like mixed media for music, quite honestly. Totally. I mean, the whole record label is experimental, electronic, instrumental, hip hop, jazz fusion, um, Flying Lotus is John Coltrane's nephew, which maybe is yep. a little known fact, but all of their work really does come from a highly informed place, musically speaking. I mean, Flying Lotus can play almost any instrument and, yeah. you know, the way that he's able to blend things, um, I think is just so unique and specific to Brain Feeder, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. They work so well together too. Flying Lotus and Thundercat are like yin and yang, um, you know, Thundercat being kind of like that lighter energy, really energetic and fun. And Flying Lotus, if you've heard some of his instrumental music, kind of, it can get on the darker side, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Definitely. So, 
In your personal process, I know that, you know, you do a lot of different things, whether it be like design, illustration, and um, the like in-house stuff that you do. Like, how um, do you ideate? You know, like, where do the ideas start and how do you sort of work through them uh, visually? So it's very much involved with the team. Like the work that I do for Brainfeeder, oftentimes I'm being directed specifically by Audrey Fulbright. He will send me reference imagery and sometimes just to hear my opinions, like, you know, hey, like we're thinking about doing X, Y, Z. What are your thoughts? Like, you know, can you do some concept art for this specific um, idea that we have going on? I'd say a lot of my day-to-day is predominantly concept art, quite honestly, because Hmm. um, they have such specific ideas in their mind that they want to see illustrated on paper so that, you know, we can translate it to everyone else involved in the team. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my work involves um, tracing and collage. And for them, you know, it's a godsend because I'm able to get that level of realism in the concept art that they may not be able to envision otherwise. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you find the fact that it, that they have such specific ideas relaxing or kind of difficult in the creative process? I think it's relaxing. I think that it actually, it it guides the creative process rather than goes against Mm -hmm. it. Quite honestly, it's, it's Mm -hmm. all very uh, collaborative. Thundercat, whenever we do merch for him, he always has an idea, you know, in his head, exactly what he wants. Um, Mm -hmm. And that for me is definitely easy to go off of to get it right. Flying Lotus is more open. Like I worked on a a collection for Flying Lotus that will be kind of coming out soon. And I kind of was able to take the reins there going off of the visual language that he had already put out there because he just has such a specific image and visual language that's already been established for him that Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to expand on that in my own way and just being able to get my own vision out there and have him perceive it. And it's either thumbs up or thumbs down. There's usually no gray area. So Mm -hmm. that in itself is actually pretty helpful because if they like something, they're very to the point about it. We don't want to waste time. And as far as your your personal work goes, like how do you work that problem solving uh, solo? Honestly, I have a similar mentality. If a sketch is not working for me, I'm, you know, I crumple up the paper, put it in the trash can, and I move on to something else. And I mm-hmm. think that it's been the healthiest way for me to go about it because if something's not going to work, you don't want to force it to work. Yeah. You know, you want to acknowledge that you spent the time working on it get something out of it and then move forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you have like a one-to-one of how you imagine uh, something playing out and you're just like trying to arrive at the image that you have in your brain or are you more open to uh, surprises in the medium? I definitely have an image in mind that I want. I think surprises happen along the way. Good surprises, Mm -hmm. you know, are always pleasant, but if it's a bad surprise, once again, it goes right in the trash. Um, (laughs) I think... um, I don't know, just picking and choosing your battles, quite honestly. I think that it's unhealthy to spend too much time trying to make something work if it's not going to work. Definitely. I think it's all part of the process, you know? Like, I enjoy messing up, quite honestly. I enjoy throwing Mm -hmm. sketches out because, you know, I could throw out 300 sketches and the, you know, 301st sketch that I end up coming to is the winner. Look at all that it took to get me here, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. I think everything is a learning process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. it's good to take a step back sometimes too. Like when I've, I've done a lot of uh, character design sketches, I'm mm-hmm. doing some work for actually an upcoming podcast series called Turned Out of Punk by Damien Abraham, who mm-hmm. has done some work as a DJ on Vice. Cool. I had to do 
quite honestly, up to 30 character sketches within a matter of a week or so. And sometimes you just can't get the likeness perfect. Yeah. There were like certain people that I had to draw that, you know, took a week just to get their specific features down, but giving myself a day or two to kind of sit back and uh, process what I had worked on. I was able to look at it with fresh eyes going back to kind of fix those features that maybe weren't working out so well for me the first time around. Mm. Mm-hmm. And being that you have kind of a very line heavy style, how are you kind of zooming out and being like, okay, this is the characteristic that I want to highlight. You know, h- how are you making those choices? Each one is different. I think the kind of basic checklist that I keep in my head is picking one specific feature on an individual person that I want to exaggerate a little bit, whether it be the eyes, nose, lips, make something the focal point mm-hmm. based on, to me, what gives that person their specific look. Mm-hmm. How do you think that the fashion industry has informed what you do? Because it, it's such an interesting like origin story of being, of not like being the product, but like, you know, being the thing that wears the product versus making the product. Giving me the hands-on experience of working with other creatives is mostly what influenced me. I, I'm mm. not sure there is as much of a correlation of, you know, being in front of a camera as there is, you know, drawing on paper. They sure. are complete opposites, but I think I learned most about people's individual creative processes, working as a model and kind of seeing art directors work and seeing makeup artists work. That to me kind of made it a valid career in a sense of being Mm -hmm. an artist, you know, having started out as a model, seeing that this actually is a reputable career path. I can go to school for this. I can learn how to do this. It really gave me the drive and the inspiration, you know, working Mm -hmm. in fashion and and really seeing that this is real. Mm. Mm. I also feel like, at least from my own experience, it takes a lot of confidence to be in front of the camera often. And your story of kind of how all of this came to fruition is like just a little bit extra confidence that made you talk to this dude and show him what you have to offer. I mean, that has to be something that possibly came from part of that, right? You got a lot of rejection as a model and I experienced a lot of rejection early on. And I think that it just kind of hardened me over the years Mm -hmm. to the point where I'm really open to anything. If an opportunity as big as this presents itself to me, I will take it with open arms because what do I have to lose? You know, I've seen the worst of it. I can see the worst that happens. You know, you're about to model for some big client. They have you come in for a callback. They're really interested. And then crickets, it's like, let's move on to the next thing. You know, (laughs) yeah. As far as aesthetics go, like what other influences do you have? I think it still goes back to graffiti, definitely. Like some of my earliest inspirations were looking at stencils on walls and, you know, how graphic, you know, posters and weed paste that you would see, um, you know, Mm -hmm. in an alleyway somewhere. For me, that was always, I think, the biggest influence a lot of my colors are very very high key and if you look at a lot of wild style graffiti i mean everything is for the most part hyper neon and sophisticated to an extent though it's like the way that they uh, graffiti artists are able to use color to kind of give their own personal aesthetic i think is really really powerful right you know if you're walking through an alley that has a bunch of graffiti and you see a weed paste that's sort of peeling off the wall and is Mm. kind of tattered from weather that's what i want to recreate on my artwork i personally have put you know flyers and stickers up over the years but i've never been involved in street art in any way for me it's like my way of taking influence from 
you know, that style of art making and putting it onto a canvas, you know, with the intentions of displaying it in the gallery, sort of taking mm-hmm. those elements from the street and putting it into my own work. Right. Right. So with that in mind, then what kind of materials and techniques are you using to kind of recreate that style? So I essentially do ink transfers on all of my work, which is a technique that I learned in an experimental illustration class in my mass art days. Um, Mm -hmm. The process involves using um, acrylic gel medium, um, putting it onto canvas. I print out imagery from laser printers and reverse glue them to a canvas you wait you essentially have to wait for it to dry overnight and you use water and sponges to remove the top layer of the paper so Mm. it's it in itself can be like a a week-long process working on some of the larger scale pieces that i do i typically work outside of character sketching up to four feet long um, on much of my work Mm -hmm. but the process of removing the paper is what gives it kind of that grainy quality because the ink itself the only thing holding the ink to the canvas is the gel medium itself. So it's an mm-hmm. extremely thin layer of ink on the actual surface of the canvas. So you have to be very gentle. I use my hands, I massage it and kind of individually go in and, and kind of distress certain parts of the piece. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a little bit more than other areas to kind of accentuate a certain part of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. each one comes out different, which is the most exciting part for me. Mm-hmm. I could make 10 prints of the same exact image and every single piece is going to be different because it really depends on how the gel medium, mm-hmm. you know, did the gel medium take well with this print? Like did a certain area not come through mm-hmm. working as a digital artist? It's been my way of kind of making prints, you know, and cool. yeah. making traditional prints that, you know, I can actually sell for money compared to just making a hundred of the same print that I could print digitally. Right. And it kind of gives each one its unique flair. What was your most influential experience in college? Was there one moment that really changed the game? or Quite honestly, taking my electives, I think, is where I learned the most. The class that I learned how to do this transfer process definitely changed the way that I think about artwork because I felt very limited being a digital artist. Like I felt like the only way for me to get my work out there was to make prints, frame them, put them in galleries by mm-hmm. seeing you know, that, that there are ways out there for you to implement digital work in a traditional sense. Like that, that was like a, a wow moment in my brain, you know, it really changed how I see things. Mm-hmm. Before you had this kind of like Cinderella moment, um, <laughs> what kind of helped you keep making work that is this authentic when you don't have that, um, you know, that, that blank space on the wall that's waiting for your work, you know, like what, what pushed you to keep going? So working in an office job, you know, was very mundane nine to five kind of situation. So when I would get home from work, I would sort of put myself in a time capsule to the person that I was before kind of growing up, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. um, I would rewatch old movies that really inspired me in high school and in college. And I would listen to punk music, which is one of the driving forces for a lot of the stuff that I do. And I would be able to kind of put my headspace back to where I was then. And by revisiting my earliest influences, Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of carve out the narrative for where my work would go. Mm -hmm. Going back to your process, like where does the idea start? Like, does it start with a photo or do you like sketch out a composition? Does it start with a color? Like what does the actual image start with as far as ideas go? 
So all of my work is based on photography that I've done, but oftentimes even before I get to that, you know, photography stage, I'll sketch out thumbnails of kind of a rough composition that I want to emulate, go out, maybe have Mm. friends of mine pose for an image, use that photograph, print it out, trace it, scan it into the computer, Mm -hmm. print it out again. Like it's like that pushing and pulling of combining a bunch of different things all at once. Mm. Hmm. So you're always going out and kind of creating your own source material. Exactly. That's Some awesome. of the imagery that I do for Brain Feeder um, is more, you know, drawing celebrities and, and drawing musicians. So that's, you know, something more specific. But in my own personal work, I made it my own personal MO to draw people that are not celebrities. I actually use oftentimes, you know, pieces from the original photograph and actually overlay my line work on top of the photographs and kind of mm. keep certain pieces. For me, I love the texture of, of clothing is mm. one of the specific pieces that I like to kind of highlight in my work, but having, you know, hands and faces kind of distorted, you know? Mm. So when you're working for these musicians, are you, are you listening to their music to kind of get in the mindset? Absolutely. Um, Especially with an artist like Thundercat. I mean, his work is such high energy that I like to kind of translate the high energy of his music into, you know, the high energy used in the piece, you know, like he loves really vibrant colors. And a lot of the illustrations that I've done for him are very high key, Mm -hmm. kind of inspired by, you know, how energetic, you know, he can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His music is very high color to me. That's a great way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah. There's like the kitchen sink is in there, you know. Absolutely. So are are you allowed to talk about the Adult Swim stuff? Not really. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not really. But, it, but is it through Brain Feeder still or is that like a separate client? This is a separate client, but cool. Adult Swim and Brain Feeder have collaborated on a lot of stuff. Like Flying Lotus um, previously had his own character on Adult Swim called Captain Murphy, which tied into an album that he had released under Captain Murphy for a very long time. People didn't know that he was actually the one behind it because it Mm. was a rap album. And Flying Lotus is not really a rapper. You know, he's more of a producer. Um, A lot of people on the internet at that time thought that it might be Tyler, the creator that was, you know, putting out this private side project, but it was Lotus. Mm -hmm. So Adult Swim and uh, Lil Fuchs, who is someone that is actually overseeing some of the work that I've done, um, not directly for Adult Swim, but for um, a podcast series turned out of punk. He was the one that actually designed the original Captain Murphy design with my partner, Autry. So Autry mm-hmm. and Lotus together had kind of developed the specific visual language they wanted for this Captain Murphy character. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Speaking of Adult Swim, though, uh, Flying Lotus got his start on Adult Swim. When he was okay. a teenager, he actually sent a mixtape to Adult Swim for a contest that they basically put out, like, you know, we're looking for, you know, buffer music. And, like, do you make music? Do you want to submit your work to be considered by Adult Swim? And when they heard <sighs> it, they were like, they gave him his platform, essentially, well, starting out. That's crazy. So since, like, working with these clients who who have contacted you like for your work which is literally the coolest and pretty much the dream of like we like what you do we want you to keep doing what you do but for us has that like changed the process for you or is it a little bit more of like a separation of church and state like your personal work is that process and those ideas and then the work that you do for clients is um a totally different process I definitely separate the two, but I will say that I've gotten a lot more intentional and a lot faster when it comes Mm -hmm. to 
executing illustrations when it comes to making work for clients Mm -hmm. because it's typically deadline oriented and they have a specific image in mind that they already want. It's like, Mm -hmm. there's no funny business when working for a client. And I feel as though I've grown a lot as an illustrator, just in how quickly I can execute things, you know, Mm -hmm. when it comes to working with these professionals for my personal work, I don't have as much time for it anymore, but I try to slow it down when I'm doing the work for myself and kind Mm -hmm. of Think about, you know, what do I want to portray rather than what does the client want to portray or how could I best illustrate this specific concept art for this specific artist? When it's my own work, I'm the one in control, whereas when I'm working for someone else, I always take into consideration, you know, their influences and what inspires them when I'm executing work for them. Cool. Right. Do you feel like the techniques that you use change between the two? It's definitely the same technique. Um, I do hand trace basically everything um, and, you know, collage together reference imagery. You know, Mm -hmm, sometimes I can use up to 15 different images that I will go into Photoshop and, you know, chop up and cut, throw together and hand trace from there. Sure. I don't like just tracing. You can't just go and trace images. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to actually hand trace something, you have to make it your own. So a lot of the concept art and character designs that I've done, I've, I've taken spaceships, I've taken dinosaurs and like, you know, <laughs> cut the arms off of a velociraptor and put it on someone else's body. <laughs> and then it's like, I can trace that. And like, that's the finished product. And, so you know, cool. because if I'm just going on the internet and tracing someone's photograph, that's not my art. That's someone's right, photograph, right. someone else's composition. Like the fun part for me is kind of making these bizarre, you know, collages like Mm. it's it's funny because i have a specific folder in my computer of what they look like before i actually trace them and it's very Mm. goofy because they are it's like a a toddler like cutting and ripping paper and you know sticking it together and it's hysterical because i'll try to send those collages at times if i'm really feeling pressed for time like i've sent my creative partner those collages and he's like like i don't know what this is like i can't (laughs) read this like like He's like, maybe we should take it to the point where, like, you put the lines on it because, as much as I want to see, like, what you see here, I'm just not. It's not. It's not showing itself for me just yet. So. All right, but that's the difference maker. That's where your vision comes in, right? You have the eye to know that those things that might look goofy all put together will turn into a beautiful composition at the end, and that's like the the unusual stuff. That's the mojo. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. And you were saying that it's like a toddler. And again, it it just goes back to like doing the shit that you like to do when you were in like preschool of like, absolutely. Just like cutting out like pictures (laughs) and pasting and ripping stuff off. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's so liberating to just be like messy and explosive. And like, I love making just like explosions of materials in the studio of just like my paints are over here my mediums are over here there's like a bunch of like sanded dust everywhere like i just love rolling in the like (laughs) i love it i just want to like lie around (laughs) yeah i think it's an artist thing i love making a mess and it's so hysterical because anyone that comes into my apartment like i'm super neat i keep all of my personal belongings nice and folded nice and clean Mm -hmm. when i work on art like it's like there's two completely different people and there are two completely different sides of me because I love making a mess. Like for me, making art is the time that I can be destructive. (laughs) Whereas, you know, otherwise I'm, you know, super professional and taking my FaceTime calls from, you know, my computer and they don't have to see the explosions, you know, that are going on in the background. (laughs) Right. But it's all about what lets you access that 
creativity. Yeah. You know, like you have to get your mind into the place where it's like, no, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And here we go. <laughs> you know, I always keep a little journal next to my bed too. If I wake up, I have crazy dreams sometimes. And like, mm. I found that I actually is super helpful to actually write down things that come up um, in my sleep. And the more that I've done it, it's like the more lucid I've become in dreaming. Cool. Mm. And do you feel like uh, you take a lot of those concepts into your, into your work? Yes and no. Um, I think some of the work that I make is comes from a more analytical place than some of the more whimsical stuff that necessarily pops up in dreams, but it gives a kind of a surreal element, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest influences actually as an artist comes from a movie called Waking Life, if you're familiar with it at all. Mm. But right. yeah. that movie, just the quality and the way that it kind of, you know, illustrates the the characters in it, for me, was, you know, a huge way of kind of incorporating that rotoscoped and hand traced element into a way that feels surreal, similar to like a dreamlike state. Mm. My style of illustration definitely comes from rotoscoping. Like a lot of the stuff that I've done, actually, I'm now working with animators and hand tracing, you know, people and faces and drawing lips and mouths moving. And the only thing that really matters when I'm working with an animator is getting that line work down. Oftentimes the backgrounds are completely blown out. You could really place these people anywhere quite honestly mm-hmm. and i think that's what makes it most exciting that's the surrealist kind of quality you know not right. knowing where they're going to place it on a background i mean most of my work there is no background it's just about mm-hmm. people in spaces and you can kind of choose where you want them to be mm-hmm. so when you're working on animation are you actually making the frames that become the animation so the animator takes my illustrations and makes them move essentially all i do is the faces i draw torsos and i draw lips and they take those bodies and do what they choose with them that's so So, cool it's been it's been so cool to watch them come to life um surreal that has to be surreal i've made like a few like very short like crude animations just to play with the actual like medium of it and it's addicting seeing your drawings move because then that like the life in your line is physically there i always wanted to learn how to animate but it's just such Mm. a different process than than illustration you know there are so many different softwares involved in it and i feel very privileged to actually be able to work with animators that will just take these characters that i make and i mean the style of the animations that i've been working on with this animator though are very they're very grungy you know it's literally just white lines on a you know bizarre kind of not specific background and the only thing that moves is the lips. So it's kind of surreal to kind of interpret. Cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that also, you know, we talk a lot about leaving space for people to insert themselves into art. So like I, to me, a, a lot of times when people just do something very minimal, it allows me to kind of imagine more. It's like reading a book versus watching a movie, right? Mm. When you're reading mm-hmm. the book, the characters are completely generated by you. Even if there's a description, you're making it up. So when you do work that is kind of like more abstract like that, I feel more welcomed into it as an outsider from the creative process. I feel like that's very present in your personal work too, where it's like the scene is very much so like a like a party or a concert that anybody could have been to. And I'm sure that they are specific to you and like you know those people in those basements and those shows. But it definitely leaves that space. 
for me, sometimes it's just about a color, you know, like I associate memories with, you know, maybe there was a blue tinge coming from the stage that night at the concert that I went to. And like, that's the color that I'm going to use for a specific piece. You know, it's just about the ethereal quality of the space that you're in, you know? Yeah, totally. I don't like using too much color. I mean, yellow is my favorite color to kind of use to, to highlight people. Mm. Um, and it kind of has that very, very high key, almost like a, happy feeling to it you know yeah, like mm-hmm. that glow but definitely comes from you know stage lights and yeah. kind of city nights you know and mm-hmm. it's all it always goes back to the color for me cool mm, very cool what do you have uh coming up that you're i mean allowed to talk about that you're uh excited about so this summer is actually going to be the first time that i get to meet all of my coworkers at Peter <laughs> records in yes. person for the first time so I'm super excited about that because okay. it's really just been such a unique experience that we've been able to work so closely together, mm. having only met each other through FaceTime and phone calls and, and emails. Um, they definitely feel like family. I think the MO behind Brain Feeder is that it is one giant kind of creative, um, collaborative family. And being able to spend time with these people in person, I think that the creative opportunities are only going to blossom further from right. there, you know. So we have some collaborative projects that we're going to be doing in person this summer that I can't share too much about. Mm -hmm. Um, But it will be the first time that we all are together in the same space creating, you know, physical artwork, two-dimensional, three-dimensional, all of it. Oh, man. That's going to be like an explosion. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be so so cool. (laughs) Yes. Cool. There's just nothing like being in a room making with other people physically. Yeah. It's like I forget sometimes that, you know, here I am in my studio apartment in Boston working on these illustrations for these people. And I forget that they're together in person almost every day working, you know, for me, it's been disorienting to an extent, like seeing my work actually get out there that I've done for them because I forget that I'm part of the team. So I think being with them in person, I'm finally going to be able to experience that, you know, team mentality, you know, in person. Very cool. Um, Julie, you have anything else? I think I'm. I think that's a pretty nice, like, a nice, a nice place to end it. Um, yeah, yeah. I that covered everything I had, um, but we we always end it the same way. If uh, you could share three artists that you think people should check out or listen to, or might want to talk to us, or just people to spread the love to. So I would have to say Flying Lotus, Thundercat, and Brain Feeder Records is my. <laughs> three favorites because I think that although they have a cult following, I think that there aren't enough people that actually have even heard of the music that they do Mm -hmm. quite honestly. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. It's so nice to like, just hear you love the people that you're working for and with. It's just like, it's, it, uh, it always gives me the warm fuzzies, especially like, I just love seeing the mass art family succeed because it just, I don't know, we all come from this like scrappy place and it's, it's cool to see you doing really well. Yeah. Thank you so very, much. Very awesome. Yeah. I'm so happy to be in touch with you after all this time too. I mean, it's yeah. it's important to kind of, you know, reflect on, you know, your roots, you know, and mass art for me was definitely the beginning creatively. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yo, thank you so much. This was really a pleasure and yeah. beautiful, beautiful work. Keep doing what thank you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you guys for having me. It was lovely to, to chit chat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to episode 27 of The Seedcast, featuring illustrator and in-house designer at Brainfeeder Records, Jerry Evan. 
For more information about our show and our guests, both previous and upcoming, please follow us at The Seedcast on Instagram or email us at casttheseed at gmail.com. Coming up next week, we sit down with bladesmith and blacksmith Jasper Hurd. Stay tuned in. Stay tuned in.